We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Uh-oh. What was that? Um, let me just say to you that, you know, for, for, for the folks listening, you, you have no idea how Julie and I, um, we come together. And so I sort of like to give you a peek every once in a while. So we attempted to record a day before, and I had like a couple of other things that I had said to Julie that I thought were, you know, interesting or whatnot, but she never even heard any of those. But then on the morning of our recording today, I am waking up to a broadcaster smiling with a headline that basically has said he's created one of the most racist shows on television in terms of a news broadcast. And and he's smiling about that. And I don't know if that's a smile in your face. I don't know if that's a smile like I could care less what you all say about me type smile. Um, And then, of course, we have the big, big, big story uh, around the Supreme Court, which Julie and I will get into. I I guess that long pause inside, Jay, was just... um, I'm I'm never I'm never short on running through my emotions. Yeah. I, I may not show all of them, but I'm never short on running through my emotions, the high and the low, the happy, the frustration. I'm just never short on just just moving through our emotions because these people just find a way to get up under your skin. They just find a way to disappoint you over and over again. They do. And if you haven't read the not one, not two, but three part series on the racist infrastructure, the white nativist infrastructure and the power of that kind of nativism, excuse me, that uh, Tucker Carlson is bringing in around um, on Fox News, I think it is a thousand percent worth a read. I'm through halfway through part two. it's not shocking, but it is eye-opening, and it's a hundred percent worth your time because you realize the money that is behind, um, whether it's his act or his actual belief system that we're willing to put capitalism before democracy. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into our show this week because the Supreme Court actually gets two mentions. Uh, the first of which happens to be around their banning uh, recovery. Um, And when we use the word recovery, we're talking about financial reward, some sort of recovery for emotional harm in discrimination suits. The story was actually over in New York Times, and it talks about a woman who is deaf, who was going through physical therapy. and, And in her being deaf, what she requested, wanted, was for this physical therapy, um, business to provide an interpreter, someone who could use sign language 
to communicate, to interface between her and the people providing her with physical care. And the Supreme Court basically said, no, they don't they don't necessarily have to do that. And you're not in a position where you need to be suing them for any financial damages. And I will tell you, Julie, when I read this story, I actually I said, well, what a bold request. I, I understood why she did it. I get it. But I also didn't agree that she should have sued them. What were your thoughts when you read this one? Yeah. So I think, I guess, let me ask you, why, why do you get it? What do you get about it um, that, it, that makes it okay for her to ask, but not okay for her to receive a sign language interpreter? Yeah, I think we can ask for almost anything, you know? And so, you know, I feel like she asked with a genuine spirit, like, you know, if we're going to be in this relationship if you're going to be uh, pressing on my back or whatever the case may be, I- I'd like to have somebody there that can that can sign out the conversation for me. Their rebuttal to that was probably, and I don't know this to be the case, but probably not willing to make that investment in that person because we we have to pay for that. But we will write out what we are saying to you and you can read it and then you can respond in writing and will communicate in that way. And I thought that that was a fair concession. I don't feel like they were treating her any poorly in terms of the service that she received. I think that they were protecting the business and making that investment. So let me ask you a question. Let me see how this rolls out. So if I went to the doctor in Belgium, where I am right now, and the person only spoke Flemish, um, and I said, hey, I need someone to speak to me in English. And they said, no, but we'll let you write it down in Flemish to us or we'll write it down in, in Flemish to you and, and that'll be good enough. Is that good enough? Well, I don't know if that's the same thing, but if you would have said, you know, writing it down in maybe English to help you because you only speak English, uh, I'm assuming yes. that that's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Um, writing it in Flemish when you don't understand Flemish, I think is not really a concession. You know, reading it or speaking it, if I don't understand it, then I don't understand it. So, so I don't I don't know if I would I, I, I just don't see that as a a workaround, if you will. But I also don't see it as the doctor's responsibility to speak English. I see it more as your responsibility to learn Flemish because you are in their country. So American Sign Language is not English. It is a different language. Just like French Sign Language, Indian Sign Language, um, Chinese Sign Language. And so because I could speak to you in in, in American Sign Language, does not mean that I can communicate with you in English. They're not interchangeable languages. And I believe if I read correctly not too long ago, um, people who use ALS as their primary form of of communication um, only read and write at about a third grade level. And that's because they don't speak English. They speak American Sign Language. They communicate in American Sign Language. Interesting. And so... I never heard that before, uh, yeah. which is interesting, the third or fourth grade level. That's interesting. So, but, but, but how do you, how are you using 
the Flemish example for the sign language example, because at least in the sign language example, they do have some degree of understanding around English. Maybe not all the way, but they have that third or fourth grade level, whereas on your example, you have no understanding of Flemish. So show me the correlation yeah. and, or maybe just show me where you're going with the story. Yeah, I mean, I think is is the point is, is that I'm trying to differentiate that these are two different languages. And maybe Fair I've enough. done a few Duolingo or Babel, you know, sure. and I can say hi, bye in third grade things. Yeah. That doesn't mean I can communicate with a healthcare provider at the level I need to to get the appropriate care. Got it. So, so in your in your your position on the story is you're, you're a little bit different. Um, you know, in the dissent, Justice Stephen Breyer he wrote um, that that the Chief Justice had asked the right question but given the wrong answer. Some sorts of contracts he wrote can give rise to suits for emotional harm, whereas um, Justice Breyer added that the majority had lost sight of the larger purpose of the anti discrimination laws, which was quote to vindicate human dignity and not mere economics. So you are feeling like they should have brought in a signer. Yeah. So in my opinion, yes, they should have brought in a signer. I think what is is more my initial reaction to this conversation um, was you ha- you as the doctor have a contract with the federal government. That contract with the federal government says you have an obligation and and a privilege to not discriminate against people in underrepresented communities. And so if we're only saying as someone who is black, who's LGBTQ, who's a person with a disability, who's a veteran, the only thing that they can be harmed is in an, an, an economic way. So if I'm abused at work, if I'm emotionally abused at work, if I'm discriminated against at work, but I don't get fired, like, does this change the fundamental conversation about um, the EEOC and being a federal contractor if the limitation of my penalty under this set of circumstances is loss of my federal contract? and potentially economic damages due and payable to the victim, but nothing in excess of what they lost financially? Um, I mean, that's that's interesting. I feel like it's a bit of a stretch because um, I don't feel like she was discriminated against. I just feel like she was compartmentalized. You know, like, look, this is... This is what you can't see me, listeners, but I'm, I, I have my hands up about the, the width of my laptop screen. This is what we're willing to work within right here. And, and we'll do everything that we can in this parameter to accommodate you. So we're not trying to not accommodate you. We're just saying this is our limit, if you will. And, and I don't see that as being discrimination, but I can appreciate your position. Now, I think we'll both agree on the second reason why the Supreme Court was mentioned. You want to, uh, I mean, everybody's talking about it, but we got to make sure that we include it for history's sake. We got to at least make sure that we put it on the record. Uh, the leaked memo, like the first time that this has happened ever, and certainly one of the biggest leaks in the last half of a century around what's impending. And we talked about this in a past show. If we look at, I, I know we talked about it earlier this year that, 
it's a very, very good chance that the Supreme Court is going to strike down Roe versus Wade. And now we have an idea that it is absolutely coming within the next 40 to 60 days. Yeah. And, and probably if we look back in uh, our 2019 shows, I said something around the effect that if um, Trump was elected, Roe would be overturned. Um, and given that he was able to put a record three justices on the court, it all but guaranteed um, that Roe would be overturned. And so what we have is a, I believe, a Mississippi case um, that wanted to ban, uh, ban abortion before 15 weeks, um, kind of the before viability stage. Uh, Alito, uh, Justice Alito, appointed, I believe, by George W. Bush. Um, has drafted the first uh, opinion, which is the majority opinion, um, that states they will affirmatively overrule both Roe and Casey, uh, the two cases cementing constitutional access to safe and legal abortions in the United States. In fact, he holds at the or says at the beginning, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. It is labeled as the majority of the opinion of the court. He says further, it's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. Yeah, on um, page 15 of the 98 pages that were leaked, there were actually more than 98 pages linked, but the 98 page is the initial draft from the Supreme Court of the United States. And in such, uh, Justice Alito on page 15 First paragraph, he says, until the latter part of the 20th century, there was no support in American law for a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Zero. None. No state constitutional provision had recognized such as a right. Until a few years before Roe was handed down, no federal or state court had recognized such a right. And it goes on from there. He kind of repeats it a couple of times. He talks about scholarly articles. He talks about how the 22 out of 37 states at the time when it is, he gets into a whole lot of research. What does all of that mean to our listeners and to me and you or to you and I, Jay? This was absolutely a long game for them. Yep. 100%. They sat back. They sat back on their heels and they played an extremely long game and you are the smartest of the two because you said it in 2019 and i say the two you and i you said it in 2019 I, i'm not even thinking about this one trump I'm, I'm thinking about trump running and being elected and it just being a power play for him um uh one of those those moves of arrogance and air and look what i've done I never even thought, and this is my, my right hand, both hands up, you know, I, I never really gave thought to how much damage could be done by him being in office. And I say he specifically because I really thought about him in the sense of reality television Trump, not in public office Trump with the ability to appoint, to do, to, I just never really thought about that. So you were the smarter of the two. They played a very, very long game. And this is going to be, um, this is gonna have ramifications in a number of ways. And I'm not, 
you know, I'm not a political guru in any sense, Julie, but, you know, I'm hearing people on the radio say, okay, they get this one, then they're going to come after gay marriage. They're going to come after um, just a whole litany of things that basically they just don't like. Yeah. I, and I mean, so the gay marriage case is already in the pipeline. It's, it's already on its way to the court. Um, women's rights is going to be, or uh, rights to a, a legal and safe abortion will end in this country effectively in June. Um, they will go after marriage. They will certainly um, likely overturn at least some forms of affirmative action um, in the next year, uh, which is why when we kind of talk back to that first case and we say the window is super narrow, the, the narrow window opens up for the larger, right? And that's why evangelicals and, and traditional family values conservatives, to your point, and very smartly, play the long game. The states have now been gerrymandered to a place where even if the majority of people in the state of Tennessee wanted to have fair and legal access to an abortion, they will not be able to get it because the people in control now own the map. And that was something that was put in by Baltimore native. Um, oh my God, his name's just going to escape me. He used to be the chair of the, the GOP and he put in the red state map, uh, Michael Steele. Johns Hopkins graduate um, that basically built out a 15-year plan to make sure that they controlled the governors, houses, and those legislators in as many states as possible. And this is the result of that 10 to 15-year plan that we're seeing right now. And so that being said, to wrap this up, because this is a serious, serious topic, primary started in the United States Tuesday this week. And a lot of people set out and said, I didn't want to vote for the, the white lady. I didn't want to vote for the super smart, qualified woman. I'm going to sit this one out. This is not one we get to sit out. There is, there's no kind of do over after this one, if we even get it now. So I think we have to talk about SCOTUS more continuously because as a, as a Democrat, as a liberal, that's something that I think I've failed to see for a long time. Um, and, and a good majority of us are much, much too farsighted and much too identity-based to continue to, pl to play a long game that's going to compete with the Republicans. Yeah, and we can't just necessarily be nice. You know, oftentimes people are saying, well, hey, Tor, you know, how is it that you uh, engage in these conversations with individuals and organizations that have opposing views? Um, well, I say directly. You know, that, that's what I, I, I'm direct, you know, I'm not mean, I'm not a bowl in the China shop, but I'm direct. I'm not milly mouth. I'm not soft spoken. I'm, I'm very direct. And what, what I'm hearing from you, what I'm seeing from them is that it's going to require all of us to be direct. We need to be more participatory and direct in what it is that we believe in, what we are supporting, uh, what we'd like to see for our futures. We cannot leave it to chance. That is what you are enforcing here, reinforcing here. We can't leave things for someone else to do it, waiting for somebody else to do it, kicking the can down the road and, and, and assuming and thinking that it's going to get done. So uh, I'm with you. I, I know that I am going to up my game of attention 
you know, yes, we got thousands of things happening, but I'm going to up my game of attention. So thank you for hitting me with that early morning text of what had happened. Did I say that? What had happened? <laughs> uh, hitting me with that early morning text of what happened uh, with the Supreme Court. But you found something interesting about equity, pay equity. Yeah. So um, something we kind of mentioned in passing back in March. So you remember Brittany Griner, the basketball player who's now being held um, in a Russian jail. So this piece from The Hill talks about Griner's detention in Russia tied to U.S. gender pay gap, says WNBA star Brittany Griner's manager. Yeah, yeah. So her, her manager said, you know, a couple of weeks back that bottom line is she would not be in Russia in the first place if she received, hear me clearly, if she received adequate pay as a professional basketball player in the U.S. And I pause because I know two years ago we talked about Megan Rapinoe and the soccer team. You remember? Oh, yeah. We talked about how. Uh, they were not being compensated in the way that their male counterparts had uh, were being compensated. I believe that was related to FIFA, certainly in soccer in general. But the, 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 the spin from the manager for me was fascinating that they that basically pay her. If you paid her, she wouldn't be over in Russia, thereby she wouldn't be in jail. I thought that was extremely interesting. Yeah, I I don't know, honestly, like I've read it a couple of times and I don't know if I'm there with it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I think it does bring front and center again the conversation about the disparity um, between male and female athletes, especially professionals of that level. Um, I had no idea that top female athletes can make six to seven times their maximum WNBA salaries in countries like um, Russia and Turkey. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so you have to ask yourself like, okay, I can make a hundred grand here in the U S or, or I can make 80 grand here in the U S playing basketball, or I can go over and make a half a million close to a million dollars doing the same thing. What, what, what do I want to do? And, I don't really see it as being a hard choice. Julie, I got to tell you, if I was 6'5", 6'3", 6'1", and I could move the balls like some of these incredible women that can move up and down that court, block shots, I would have my happy ass right over in Turkey or Russia, suited up, collecting the bag, and coming back to spend the holidays and off-season with the family. I, I think it would be a no-brainer for me. As it is for so many of them. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree that there's certainly much greater opportunity. Um, I just don't know enough about the, M the WNBA to know anything about what pay equity might need to look like there. <laughs> I can dig it. I can dig it. I can dig it. I can dig it. All right. So that'll do it for Julie and I this week. Um, just a quick break. We'll, we'll do what we normally do, pay some bills. We'll come back with Inner Flash and then we'll get into our topic for uh, for the rest of the show. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. 
We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. All right, awesome. In a flash, Air Force Major General William T. Cooley faces up to seven years in prison and dismissal from the Air Force after he was found guilty of one of three sexual misconduct claims made by, get this, Julie, his sister-in-law. Cooley is the first Air Force Major General to be court-martialed, tried, and convicted in the military branch's 75-year history. And if you were like most and others, exports, experts speculate as to what Elon Musk's takeover means for Twitter users' privacy. I got to just insert this real quick. I didn't give a shit. Uh, anyway, some worry that there is nothing stopping him from assessing users' DMs and ain't that special. The 2022 National Association of Broadcasters inducted NBC Nightly News and Dateline anchor Lester Holt, love him, into its Achievement in Broadcasting Hall of Fame this past Sunday, which is more than I can say for some of the other broadcasters, one of which we mentioned at the top of the show. Um, and this, commercials are coming to Netflix. And finally, Harvard Redress. Harvard has pledged $100 million to redress its historical ties to slavery as it released a report detailing its connections to slavery, segregation, and discrimination. And this is a good moment for me to recommend a book that um, kind of outlines the relationship of some of the country's most celebrated institutions. It's a book titled Ebony and Ivy by Craig Stephen Wilder. Let's get into the show. All right, so... Everybody's talking about um, the great resignation, the great reset. Um, I've seen other um, phrases out there, the great regret, the big mistake. And I can only think about my time in corporate America, which, you know, some might call me a bit of a dinosaur because that time in corporate America, physically, actually in W-2 corporate America, that stopped for me back in 1998, Julie. But but as I hear these phrases, great resignation, great reset, great new beginnings, uh, great regret, big mistake, I can only imagine um, why is it that people are going through all of this? Um, are, are people leaving these positions purely because uh, it was convenient to do during COVID? Uh, are people leaving these positions purely because they are fearing the possibility of contracting the disease that could possibly take their life? Are people leaving these positions because they just have 
poor leaders, poor managers, poor people, uh, or me, uh, people with poor uh, relational skills. Um, and I sat there and I just thought about an article um, that Bernard Coleman had wrote over in uh, Inc. Magazine and a couple of other pieces. And, and I just, I want to start with, is any of this a surprise to you? Like, are you finding any of this leaving of corporate America to be a surprise? Um, I mean, yeah, I think I was surprised by it um, in terms of the mass, right? When we talked February, March, April, the, the greatest resignations, the greatest number of, of uh, people leaving their roles, sort of the history of that, that we've been tracking that. And that kind of number shocked me. Does it shock me that people are fed up with um, working to or living to work and not working to live? No, uh, certainly not in America. I think that that's been coming uh, for a long, long time. And to your point, you know, I think most of the time we leave really bad managers. We leave managers who are not really bad, but pretty mediocre, who don't engage us on any level, whether it's pride in our work attention to our lives, um, general engagement, I think, you know, is a lot of it, but we also have changing wages now too. Um, with all of the great resignation, great regret, whatever we call it today, um, it is driving up wages. And so people are getting more opportunity. I think especially women, we've talked about that several times over the last month or so, um, that our, our chances to earn more for the same or less amount of work is, is very attractive. So I want to bring in a clip real quick of Sam Zell. And those of you who may not know who Sam Zell is, he is extremely successful in the real estate space. Last name is spelled Z-E-L-L. -L. It's just over a minute, well, maybe two minutes. Uh, but have a listen to this quick clip from Sam Zell. I've met a number of your employees, and a number of them are Michigan graduates. And one of the things that's universal when they talk about what it's like to work with and for Sam is it's not always easy. You will challenge them, uh, but they know that you believe in them. And uh, there's something about how you've cultivated a culture. Well, you don't. Obviously, this is a, you know, a little cliche-ish, but you don't kill the messenger. Uh, you know, the answer is that, I mean, as I say to my people all the time, take me on. Uh, I, I'm not afraid to defend my position, neither should you. And uh, so you got to take me on if you think I'm wrong. And nobody, nobody is quicker to acknowledge that they're wrong than I am. Uh, you know, because ultimately the environment that I create is one of, of access is a one of, of nego not negotiation, but interface among people. I mean, we have a very unusual environment in that uh, we've only had one person recruited at a senior level away in 50 years. Wow. One. And he came back. That was going to be my question, is what happened to that person? He came back after less than six months. So when he came back, I sat down with him. And I said, Richard, I said, I don't understand. You got a much bigger title. You got paid significantly more. 
why did you come back? And he said, it's very simple. He said, I sat at my desk, and if I had a problem, uh, and I was here, I'd get up, and I'd walk into your office and say, here's the problem, what do we do? I said, in my, he said, in my new job, I write a memo. And then I wait two weeks for somebody to respond to me. Uh, and I, he said, that isn't fun. And uh, I think that, you know, there's been a, a historical perspective that, you know, uh, fun is a very, very important part of success. All right, so again, Sam Zell, um, he's in conversation. He's a Chicago-based founder, chairman uh, of Equity International. Uh, so fitting since I'm sitting in Chicago right now while we are recording this. He's made several fortunes in the fields of real estate, energy, and communications. Uh, and in that clip, he was in conversation with Scott Daru, uh, the Edward J. Frey Dean of the Michigan Ross School of Business. And in a, uh, a recent Pew Research Center report, of those who quit their jobs in 2021, 33% cited no opportunities for advancement as a major reason for their departure. No opportunity for advancement as a major reason for their departure. 35% stated that feeling disrespected was their primary reason. So with the increased focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, I guess the question becomes really what can companies do to ensure that their efforts are, are not just about recruiting, but also retaining talent. And then the bigger question that I want to get to, or hopefully we have enough time, and if not, maybe we can pick it up next week in our conversation, is are we doing people a disservice, Julie, through our diversity and inclusion efforts, considering some of the ramifications of automation, robots, and whatnot, displacing people in the workplace in the next 5, 10, 15 years? So I think it's so interesting that you just said that we would be doing it as a disservice. What I think that we are just now recognizing um, is that when we're talking about automation, when we're talking about um, unionization, when we're talking about collective bargaining rights, access to healthcare, access to mental health services, um, accesses, access to uh, you know maternal and, and paternal leave, we are talking about DEIB. And that at the core is what DEIB should be focused on. It should be focused on creating equitable opportunity through benefits, attraction, compensation, um, how and when collective rights need to overrule and have balance with the corporate and shareholder rights. You know, we're talking about 33% of resignations saying they have no opportunity to advance. We are at record level profits for hundreds of companies. And that money is going to the, the board, the C-suite, and the shareholder. It's not driving job growth. It's not driving wage growth. It's not driving opportunity for people who are sitting and stagnating in roles 
for a long time. It's not supporting fast food workers and and service industry people and manufacturing people who are seeing collective bargaining rights stripped away year after year after year. It's not taking things to the hill that need to have more worker protections put in them. It's not. And at, at the core, DEIB cannot do its job if we don't think about the worker, if we don't create situations that empower the worker. And that's what I think, what I hope is going to come out of this great resignation. We can't stop the pace of technology, right? Automation is going to happen. Um, Jobs are going to get eliminated. What does that mean? Who is responsible for creating the next skill in the workforce? Who is responsible for getting workers to that place where they can take advantage of the next evolution in our economy? Right now, we think that it's, we say it's the US government, but the ones that are reaping the benefits of that are corporate America. And again, that goes to the C suite the board, and the shareholder. And at its core, DEI should help level that field. So I don't think it's a disservice at all. I think it's the ev- it's the next evolution of where we go. So in the clip, Sam Zell talks about, you know, losing one person over a 50-year period, talking, of course, about a high-level individual. He wasn't necessarily referring to uh, other levels in the organization, but at a very high level, one person, 50 years, says something about the culture. To me, um, in Bernard Coleman's article, he talks about early in his career back in 2008, where he left the job for more money. And unfortunately, he was disappointed. And so I think it gets down to the point about, you know, it really is a, a matter of how is it that we are supporting individuals inside of the workplace? And one of the things that I see missing in so many of these conversations, Julie, you know, in the beginning, when we are going through the interviewing process, there are questions that we're not supposed to ask uh, of the candidate. We're not supposed to ask some of these questions because they are red flag. They are triggers. If you will, they are illegal. The bottom line is those questions are illegal. But where I continue to struggle, when I, I think about the time that I've spent in DNI, well over a decade, I think about the time that I spent in corporate America leading um, sales teams, building high-performing teams. One of the things that absolutely helped me both in corporate America, in recruiting, and in consulting is my intimacy with my people. Asking them about family, about birthdays, painful events, trying to be just, the more I knew about them, the better we were able to connect and we could move through the relationship in a way that I could support them, I could develop them. I I just felt like we are, we find too many leaders that are inoculating themselves in the title. They are shielding themselves because they have this title sort of creating a bit of a barrier, which goes into the 35% leaving leaving because they don't have any opportunity. Uh, I'm sorry, 33% opportunity, 35% leaving because they feel disrespected. If I got a relationship with you, I'm not, I'm just going to have less of a tendency to disrespect you. And I just feel like we have not done a good enough job of focusing our DNI efforts on leaders and making them model what good relationship building looks like. Yeah. 
No, I, I couldn't agree more. We have that conversation around mental health every single day. Um, knowing your team is critical to not just your success as a leader and the co corporation's success, but to their success. And as leaders, we should be invested in their success. And their success is bigger than just them showing up at that job nine to five and, and making you look good. Yeah, absolutely. And Bernard lays out a couple of things that he wants people to think about and considering, you know, and he's speaking specifically to the person considering a new opportunity. Uh, and so I think his article in Inc. Magazine, it's titled How to Avoid Buyer's Remorse in the Great Resignation. Uh, he published it on, I don't exactly see a date, but it came out this week in Inc. Magazine again. How to avoid buyer's remorse in the great resignation. I just think that it's important. Uh, again, now you didn't weigh in on this. I hope weigh in real quick on this one. Are we doing enough in our DNI efforts to prepare people for following, getting them into these roles? But wait, might, what might happen if automation or robots comes through and takes the role away from them? Are we doing enough there or is that something that we should be thinking about a little bit more in your opinion? Um, yes, I think we should be thinking about it more, but I think that instead of creating more programs and cool acronyms or something like that, we need to be forcing um, the consciousness of our leaders at, at the C-level to invest in the talent that they need to build. So they really have that power to change things. And we as DEI leaders need to make sure that they understand the value of that future investment. Understand the value of that future investment. All right, something that we are not going to um, stop talking about because uh, Julie said it very, very well, it is about the people. You know, it's not the acronyms, the shiny new tools. Those things are efficiencies or their coefficients towards how we do build, motivate, lead, achieve, become efficient. But they are not the primary, the central driver. It really is and should always be about the people. Quick commercial break and then we will do our Her Voice segment. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. In our Her Voice segment, it's where we amplify women making moves. And this week, we want to uh, shout out YouTube uh, for hiring former Amazon VP Alexa Tony Reed as VP of YouTube Shorts, the platform's TikTok competitor. And Barbara Gago, who began work on her startup in March of 2020, says the biggest mistake that companies are making today is keeping employees in the dark about their future. If you keep them in their dark about what their future is at your company, you're basically basically ensuring they don't have a future there. And Barbara Gago's founded Pando, and that goes to exactly what Julie and I talked about in the last segment. We want to also shout out Rutgers Hall of Fame women's basketball coach, C. Vivian Stringer. She announced her retirement after 50 seasons. Stringer is a Naismith Memorial, Memorial Basketball Hall of Famer 
guided her team to 28 NCAA tournament appearances and four Final Four berths across her storied career, which she coached at Cheney State, at Iowa, and most recently at Rutgers. And finally, Jay, a shout out to all of the women that belong to the crew, the crew, C-R-U. You can get them on Twitter at Find Your Crew. Again, C-R-U. The crew is a constellation of women committed to helping each other thrive. The founder and CEO of such is Tiffany Dufu. You can find her on Twitter at T-Dufu. That's T-D-U-F-U. All right. Quick mentions this week. Um, David Green over at My HR Future released a three or a new course, Building a Neurodiverse Workforce Strategy. Three modules takes about one hour. Um, you can get more information at myhrfuture.com. And a quick name dropped for me this week. Um, one of our dear supporters of our community, a longtime colleague and member of our family at Ability Beyond has passed away this week. Um, after succumbing to injuries suffered in a car accident, she was an amazing member of our Breathe Equality ERG and supported so many young women and young people of color in their career at Ability Beyond. Uh, Dorothy, we thank you and, and enjoy your rest. It is well-deserved, my friend. Close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, better teams, and workplaces for now. Jay Overseas, Torrent Holder Down in the U.S., The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.